happy Boxing Day, listener. Or is it tomorrow? Uh, uh, could be. Know, could be four days' time. Oh, good lord! Yeah. <laughs> Secretly, we're not doing it on Boxing Day, but Happy Boxing Day anyway. But yeah. if it's tomorrow, Happy Tomorrow Boxing Day. Yeah. For our regular Wiggly listeners, you'll know all about the Wiggly podcast. But for new listeners who have just charged their new iPod Nano, lucky you! Just finished watching their first snippet on their iPod video. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast. You'll hear a slice of country life along with lots of ideas to give your nature space in the garden. Richard, bring on the slogan. All right. Okay, I'm not prepared. Hang on. Sorry. Useless. Don't get the... You just can't get the the star. Richard, bring on the slogan. Composting, creation, chit-chat and chilling inspiration. This podcast will provide pizzazz to your patio and productivity in your potato patch. Oh, lovely. (laughs) What's on the show this week? Alison's popping in with plant of the week. Beep, beep. That's a clue. Beep, beep. Phil the farmer's coming in. He's talking about Christmas on the farm. Monty's coming in with a worm cast. Richard and I are reviewing a book, not because we want to review a book, just because we want to hear the chocolate rating. rating. Yeah. We're talking about hedgehogs, although I know we've mentioned them before, and we're going to learn about cow tipping. That's a new one on me. So we better get started with the show. There's a few things to talk about this week, hedgehogs especially, yeah. but I wanted to ask you about mistletoe right. being this time of the year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell us a bit about it. Well, mistletoe, it's a parasitic plant, isn't it? It tends to grow on predominantly on fruit trees, apple trees, and which is why it's so prolific in Herefordshire. It's all around kind of Herefordshire and Vale of Evesham and Worcestershire and stuff, but probably because this, these are areas where there are major orchards. But it does grow on other trees like limes and poplars, bits and pieces. How um, does it work then? Because it hasn't got any roots, has it? It kind of has roots that sort of tap into the trees that it lives on. Right. It's not a parasite in the true sense because obviously it's green, so it photosynthesizes as well. So it uh, obviously gets some nutrition from photosynthesis. But having said that, some of the some of the moisture and, and nutrients it will absorb from its roots that it taps into the tree. If you cut, if you have a bit of a cross section of a of a branch and you cut it, you could see how the tap root of the mistletoe joins the its um, the host plant. How does it get there then? How? So it usually gets uh, transferred through uh, birds. They eat, they'll eat it. Lots of birds like mistletoes, berries, and they'll eat it and they'll, they'll land on a tree and pass the berries and then they adhere to the side of the trunk and, and the process of, uh, of growth occurs, you know. My dad used to be very hummy about mistletoe. Hmm. Ooh, mistletoe, as if it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. I, I think, in some, having said that, in some places, I think there are instances in, um, in North America where they've had problems with certain species of mistletoe that have compromising the, uh, the growth of some of the commercial plantations. But generally, it, it doesn't really have that effect in this country. And there may be instances where you have masses of mistletoe on a tree and yeah. then it might kill the tree off. We've got masses of orchards in Herefordshire that are just inundated with mistletoe growth and the trees are perfectly fine. Difficult to get it because it's always in the top, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think perhaps it's always in the top because people tend to pick what's on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. But you, t- you can see it. It, does, it will grow really low down. But, of course, it always tends to be where the birds are excreting it as well. Mm. Apart from looking fantastic in the house at Christmas, yeah. which it does, 
What, what good does it do for wildlife? You know, what, what species use mistletoe? It provides a source of food, especially for the thrush family, like the, the migration flocks of red wings and field fairs that we get every year, as well as our, our uh, indigenous uh, song thrush. And of course, it's the, you know, it's the, the way that the birds consume the berries and then, and then defecate them all over the trees that uh, spreads the mistletoe. You that. told me about um, an experience with mistletoe in your car the other morning, didn't you? <laughs> Richard, yeah. Mistletoe in my car. I'll tell you one experience with mistletoe that's really funny. is when we were kids, we used to go round and we used to pick mistletoe from trees yeah. and sell them to people's, you know, sell them to on the door and sell them to people's houses just before Christmas to make some pocket money for Christmas. One time we went into this big estate and a big estate house, you know, and then they've got a few fruit trees in the bottom of their garden. Went into their garden and oh, picked yeah. a load of mistletoe. <laughs> went up to the house and sold them their own mistletoe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That was a real triumph. You naughty boy. That's so bad. Yeah, great. Yeah. So that was a, that was a good adventure. Um, so what? You can't actually plant mistletoe. Then you can't actually have mistletoe guaranteed in your garden. What can it's, you do to? You can, interestingly enough, you could if you could pick mistletoe berries and then you could squeeze them into perhaps forks of the tree or branches of the tree. Really? Hope. But they don't germinate that easily, so you have to do it a lot. You need lots and lots of berries. So in, in actual fact, you probably need big handfuls of berries and like smear whole boughs in order to get some mistletoe from it. But yeah, and you'd it does pick it. an People apple do tree, do would you? Yeah, probably pick an apple tree. or if it, it does they seem to colonise apples and pears, fruit trees in general, more than anything else. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. What I really want to talk about is hedgehogs. Right. Because I know we've mentioned them before, but top-selling Wiggly Prezzies this Christmas included Hoggy's Home. And I think that's because hedgehogs came out as number one in the RHS survey of the favourite things to attract in your garden. Right. Hoggy's number one. By the way, worms were number 30. Right. So come on, all you worm lovers. Better to have worms in your, in your garden than hedgehogs, I should say. I think so. Yeah, yeah fact, but without the one, you probably wouldn't have the other. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose they don't look as cute, do they? No. I was looking at the top seven ways of killing a hedgehog, which is bad news. And at number one was plastic wrapping around them. And so I was thinking at Christmas, with all those beer cans and all that sort of thing, yeah. that we ought to make sure that we pull them all apart. Absolutely, yeah. Well, there's always the thing about that. If people always, it was always kind of recommended that you pull those beer can binders apart because when they go to landfills, seagulls often get tangled up in them as well, oh, don't right. they? right. It's interesting. You get all these new initiatives and, and, and you get it's all media hype and what people should do and then, of course, it all dies off and then people forget to do these things and there's no sense of consistency, is there, raising awareness about how people should, should behave. Really. Mm. And the other awful thing for hedgehogs is slug pellets. Yeah. And then um, we mustn't drive over them. Well, we all know that anyway. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's just that there's a few things on there. It says uh, about burning as well, doesn't it? It mentions about setting fire to hedgehogs under bonfires. It's worth, always worth looking under your bonfire beforehand. Again, common sense, but people, you know, tend to make a bonfire and leave it for a few days, and that might be as long as it takes for a hedgehog to find a place underneath it. But at the moment, they'll be completely hibernating, won't they? Yeah, they can. Interestingly enough, they can leave it as late as December to hibernate. It very much depends on the, on the weather, but hedgehogs have been known to, uh, to stay out of hibernation until as late as December before now. Lovely. Thank you, Rich. We must get on because I know Phil, a farmer, is winging his way in. Right. Here he is. Hello, Phil. Hiya, both. Happy Christmas. Yes, happy Christmas to you, too. And to you. Good to see you. We've got, um, we've got a question about uh, cow tipping. 
Well, uh, I understand, Rich, that you're the expert on pay tipping because <laughs> I had to respond to the question that sadly I'd never heard yeah. of it before, but I know I live a pretty sheltered existence here That's in it. rural well, I, West Herefordshire. I thought I'd let you answer because, you know, your, your knowledge of all things bovine is, is far <laughs> superior to mine. But, uh, yeah, cow tipping, that was interesting. That took me back a few years. This guy's Mark asking Abbott. whether or not it's possible. Mark, yeah. Mark Abbott. And to answer your question, Mark, it's, I've never found it possible. <laughs> now, I must stop you here, because how yeah. the heck would anyone know what cow tipping was? I had not got a clue. So much yeah. so that I had to go and look it up on Wikipedia. Right. And there is a whole page, sadly, cow on cow tipping. It seems to me it is just very that. cruel, Richard. Could be. It could be. I mean, potentially. I must admit, when I was doing it, I was like 16 or 17. You know, and the naughty boy. Going through perhaps a slight dubious stage in my life yeah yeah but I remember one time uh, we were going fishing one night we were fly fishing on the, on the river Tor in Devon and it was a perfect summer's evening you know getting quite dark a bit of mist settling into the river valley and we crept down and we thought we saw these cows kind of half asleep and fairly inanimate you know, in the middle of a field and I said to mate well let's go let's go and try and do a bit of cow tipping he said oh yeah okay let's go and have a go so we walked into the crept up to these cows in the middle of the field some of which are lying down some of which are standing up and the idea with cow tipping is to is to creep up to the cow, rush up to it and push it straight over. That's the idea. But in actual fact, it's uh, a lot lot more difficult than it seems. (laughs) If you rush up to a cow and try and push it over, it sort of just moves away. And they're also incredibly heavy, big old things. (laughs) Good! So uh, it's, you know, it doesn't... I, I, I haven't found it to work. I think there are people that would probably swear by the fact that it does work and you can do it. But of course, it would be pretty cruel, really. It has to rank on the same thing as if somebody rushed up to you in the middle of the night and whipped your duvet off a bit sharp. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, be that's very happy, would No, you? no, and that's happened before as well in the past and I didn't like it, so... <laughs> And I, in fairness, I've got to say that I think if, you, if it was possible that you'd quite likely damage the cow because it doesn't do them a lot of good if they fall over. No, that's right. it's it really would, bad. Would, you know, I, I have to say that it is quite a laugh thinking about it, but yeah. in reality, I've got to say I'm not no. for it at all. No, the implications would be dreadful. But I don't actually think it's feasible. I, from my experience, the cattle aren't fast asleep when they're standing up. No. They'll sleep to the point where some years ago my mother came in one day to tell father that one of the cows had died. And she was adamant that it had died and she couldn't move it and that was it, it was dead. Yeah. And when father went to it, it opened its eyes, flapped its ears and got up and walked off. Yeah. <laughs> it was that asleep. Yeah. And that was during the day. But that was lying down. And I, I, I don't think they sleep that deeply standing up i think that you're right they'll just react and yeah. either chase you out of the field or move away from you yeah that's what, so that's they're what just I napping i think so yeah so you can't tip a napper we have got one cow that i do believe is stupid enough that if you did manage to tip her over i don't believe she'd remember when she woke up whether she was standing up or lying down so it probably wouldn't bother her <laughs> which one's that number three it's made entirely worse as she gets her ear hooked inside her horn, which oh. makes her look even dafter than she is. <laughs> and yeah. is she going to have a cow? Yes, she's one of the best cows in the herd, ironically. Mm. When's that due? Um, sometime between the 1st of January and the end of March. She usually one... says sometime between the 1st of January and July. <laughs> <laughs> she's quite an interesting prospect, actually. We'll be reporting on her when she calves because her mothering instinct is so strong that she tries to lie on the calf, she tries to hatch it out as soon as she's had it, so that we have to be on hand to get the calf away from her for a week to let the instincts die down, because she, she'll just lie on it and suffocate it. And sadly, she's caught us out twice, and we'd lost the calf on both occasions, because obviously if your mother sits on you, that's not good. Yeah. 
having said that, when we get it right, she has one of the best calves in the herd. Tell us about Christmas Day on the farm. What do you do to prepare for the fact that it's Christmas Day and well, how we, does it work? We try to make sure that we haven't got any littering to do, which is the time-consuming bit of looking after the cattle, so that we litter them all on Christmas Eve. Litter? Fresh bedding, clean straw, all out on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, once I've got round the problem of Monty wanting to open every present he's got before about five o'clock in the morning, we just have to feed them their meal and their hay, and then we can go on with the rest of Christmas Day, and then at tea time they have more meal. Fantastic. Cheers, Phil. The Wheelie Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Next year sees the launch of the first dates of the Wiggly Wigglers Wildlife for Gardening courses with Jenny Steelrich. Yeah. And we've got the dates. The first date is the 22nd of April, which is a... Saturday. And the second date is the 22nd of June, which is a... Thursday. What a star you are. (laughs) (laughs) We've got another day, haven't we, that we haven't booked yet. We're having that in May, but we're not sure which day it is yet. But, yeah, just listen out for that. Yep. A little bit about the day? Yeah, it's going to be a nice mix, I think. As, as listeners are probably aware, Jenny Steele's she's made an appearance on our podcast, but she's an author of several Gardening for Wildlife books, all themed around Gardening for Wildlife. Mm. So Jenny's coming over. People have a chance to meet Jenny, obviously, for the best part of the day. They get a chance to meet you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> lucky. The day's going to start with, you know, introductions and nice coffee and... And then the morning session uh, is going to cover the general principles of uh, wildlife gardening and some aspects of organic gardening. Won't so, be too boring, will it? No, it's, I think it's going to be really exciting. I think there's going to be lots of elements. If people have an interest in gardening for wildlife, I think they'll struggle to find a more interesting course, you know. Great. Yep, and a but lovely lunch. Lovely lunch. Uh, it also looks at ways of attracting butterflies, bees and other insects to the garden, uh, as well as birds and mammals and amphibians. So and it's like a live podcast, really. That's a live podcast. Interactive live podcast. Very much so. I think there's, there's a good chance of learning an awful lot from coming along on that day, on those days. And no matter what happens, you'll have a, a lovely day. Guided tour of Wiggly Wigglers and the garden, and then you spend a, an hour or so learning about uh, making wildflower meadows and wildlife ponds. Great. Lots on, actually. It's quite a full day. Lovely. You can get more information on our website, wigglywigglers.co.uk, or email either of us. Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or Heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. <laughs> On to the book review. Right. Because we've missed the chocolate rating for ages. Yeah, no. And that's you, you know, really bit, sad. You're a bit upset about that, yeah. aren't you? We have the classic book to review today Worms Eat My Garbage one of the first books on worm composting and written by Mary Applehoff, who sadly died earlier this year but is known as Worm Woman. The book has sold well over 100,000 copies, which is, I would think, an extraordinary amount for a book on worms. Well, it sold over 100,000 copies in its first issue, didn't it? And then, so, I mean, that was a, that was a while ago now. Yeah, so. and it was one of the first books that you were um, yeah, asked that's to right. read, yeah, that's wasn't right. it? When I came into post with Wigglies, <laughs> and not knowing as much about worms as, as one might... <laughs> I took that home and uh, and read it, and it's really good. It's really interesting. It's informative. I was a bit kind of dubious about reading books about worms, but it's a really interesting book. A few Americanisms in there, but that's oh, know, mega that's, Americanisms, you know, that's critters. You've got to expect it, yeah, yeah, critters. Ooh. But it's quite a gentle book. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice book. It's very informative. In actual fact, it sort of epitomises everything that you need to know about vermiculture. The measurements are in pounds and things. So you have yeah. to bear that in mind. Which is silly, really, because a metric is so much easier to use. But, I mean, we still use pounds, don't we, in ounces and stuff. So mm. it's not too... Not She's too got bad. a website, wormwoman.com, so if you want more information. 
but this book, if you wanted to make your own worm composter, um, they've got every sort of worm composter in here. Yeah. One of them, I would say, I just cannot imagine it. There's a worm composting coffee table. Nice. Which I just cannot believe that anyone would possibly have made of laminated maple with sturdy legs on ball rollers. And it looks like a piece of the Neiman Marcus catalogue. You'll want to show it off most readily. No way, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) Worms are for the utility room at best. The cellar, acceptably. But to me, they're outdoor creatures. Keep them outside and you will enjoy them. Keep them inside and you will not enjoy them. (laughs) If we were sat with our coffee table here with a bunch of worms in it, I can honestly say, Richard, that I would not be happy. No. Whilst they're relatively clean and you can kind of, you know, handle them and then perhaps eat your sandwiches afterwards without ill effect. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, I don't suppose they're the most pleasant things in the the home. I was watching um, Changing Rooms the other Mm. night. Uh, One of the, they brought all the bits together. By the way, I quickly turned over. Yeah. And one of them was, uh, they said, what was the most ridiculous thing you had to do, Linda Barker? And she said, put a wormery on a wall in the bedroom. And we ha- actually had to supply the worms for that. Really? Yeah, which yeah. was a, a fairly weird thing for the company to do. Yeah. It was just after we supplied 30,000 worms for a man to bath in as a comic relief fundraiser. Cool. And I kept saying to him, but... They'll go in all sorts of places. Yes, I'm sure it's yeah. not a good idea, no. but he did do it. He did raise lots of money and he did sit in them for hours. No and I kept saying, way. I'm sure baked beans will be better. Yeah. And please make sure you put the worms on top of you, not sit in them. Yeah. And he did do that. Yeah. Anyway, oh what, what rating are we going to give this uh, worm Bible? Uh, well, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Oh, well, it is a worm bar, but you've just said it, you see. You've, you've eclipsed exactly what it is in, in, you know, in, in one foul swoop. So, so what, yeah, what is it? It's a milker. Just to remind <laughs> the listeners of the chocolate rating, Hershey's, yeah. Nestle, mm, Cadbury's, absolutely fine, Galaxy, and then at the top, milk. Ah! But this book is not a milker. It's a galaxy because... It's full of things that I can't read, like critters and, and divide and dump. and I just don't like the, the terms in it. No. Uh, I love the book. It's fantastic. Mary Applehoff. But can you think of another book woman. that's as good? No. No. So, definitely not. Which would mean that it's a milker. I think what it means is it is definitely a galaxy. <laughs> and that one day, Richard, you have to put your mind to it and write a worm book uh, that uh, I can oh, rate well, as a milker. Absolutely. We'll do that, a wiggly worm book. You know I said beep beep earlier, Rich. Yeah. The reason for that is because Alison's here with Plant of the Week, which is Raggy Robin. Beep. All right, I see. Happy Christmas, Al. Happy Christmas, babe. Thank you. Tell us about it then. Well, this is Ragged Robin. I bought a real fine specimen of a plant to show you. Can you see that, listener? Can you see that? I know you can't, but can you Rich, can you describe it? Well, yeah. I mean, at the moment, it doesn't look anything like it. It looks in the, in the spring and early summer. 
at the moment it's just a kind of bunch of leaves. But Ragged Robin is very much like, I imagine it got its name, I'm not sure how it's got its name, but I imagine it's got a name because the, the petals of the flower are all ragged, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. It's like five little leaves and each one is individually like it's been cut and they're all rigged and ragged. And, yeah, Beautiful, isn't it? What, what yeah. colour is it? It um, it's, can be mistaken for red campion. It's very similar to red campion, but because of the petals, it's completely different. Uh, it likes a marshy patch uh, found on wetlands or yeah. around a pond edge. I suppose that's what uh, tends to uh, separate it from, from red camping, isn't it? The, work that, you know, the kind of environment that it prefers. Yeah, absolutely. The red camping prefers more of a shady patch found in hedgerows. That one's found um, around a pond edge. Do you, do you see any ragged robin growing in Herefordshire anywhere? Um, it's some places. You get patches. Um, it's mainly wiped out. A lot of drainage has gone on over the years. Yeah. And because oh, of that, my dad. Um, yeah. 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 Because of that, the ragged robin uh, doesn't like the drier patches. So it's wiped out by that. But yeah. uh, in other parts of the country, it's found readily. Yeah. There's a farm up by me, and, the, and lots of people moan about it being a really scruffy farm. And they say the farmers are really lazy and they don't work their land as well as they could. And, you know, they, well, perhaps they have a point. But because that land is neglected, there are areas on that land, marshland, and there's ragged robin growing in it, wild. You know? Yeah, mm. well, farmers get paid to, these days to set aside pieces of land to let it go, grow wild and to enhance it with wildflowers and things, so that's probably what you're looking at. Whereas in, yeah, whereas in yeah. the 70s, farms were given grants of up to 50% to drain the land yep. yeah, and right. to grow more food. And that's of right. course, that's what Well, so you're, you're led by a government, aren't you? Well, to some extent. I mean, it meant that actually lots of ponds were made at the same mm. time, but lots of land was drained that otherwise would now be very marshy, which we all would consider yeah, a good thing. Yeah, that's it. And there's a lot of things you can do these days that um, farmers are really interested in. And you, you can put down um, ponds and things and get paid for them through certain grants. So they're putting back what, yeah. what's been ruined over the years. So yeah. it goes around in a circle, really. Yeah. Is your family doing that, Alison, do you think? Well, yeah, we are, especially on one of the farms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They love the um, size of the banks of the River Wye because ours is fenced off, so the cattle aren't ruining it. So what, in a garden setting, Al, how would you plant this and when? Best round the pond edge where it gets uh, slightly damper roots. Uh, the root system is quite a mass. It looks like, if I take this out of the pot, it looks like cotton wool. It's amazing. Mind and the it's, carpet, darling, mind uh, the carpet. Oh, you've got a cleaner, uh, it's all right. <laughs> Have a look <laughs> and, and it's um, oh, you can yeah. actually divide this plant into quite a few. Yeah, a lot of people who buy them say, "Oh, what's happened to the roots?" So it's like a clump of cotton wool. And you can just divide them. And Does it grow quickly? Hmm. Yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. 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 So, so if you planted, say, if you had a uh, what what's what's that? A quarter of a liter pot, is it? Something yeah. Like that. So if you planted that out, say, if you divided it now. Well, when that expect? self seeds, the seeds just I think everyone germinates. It's amazing because <laughs> yeah. um, we were growing them in pots, as you well know, this year, and they self-seeded amongst the other wildflowers. Yeah. And before we collect the seed, the seed went all over the rest of the pots. And now we've got ragged robin growing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so believe you me, they do grow really well. <laughs> yeah. um, how many are you growing for this year, Al? What's the production? Well, like? this one's quite a popular plant, the ragged robin. Um, I think it's because it's a bit more unusual, isn't it? And we've yeah. got some... Really good pickies in the catalogues yeah, and things. Yeah, it's, it's so yeah. beautiful. It is beautiful, yeah. So how many are you planting? Well, we'd probably do a thousand at a time. 
but because it grows so well, you have to be careful it doesn't grow too big mm. with this batching on. Can you plant it now? Um, you can sow the seeds now, and then you can plant the plugs out into the pots in the spring. Is that what you do? You yeah. Do that. How long does it take you to plant a thousand pots? Then? Oh, not long at all. An hour. An hour? Yeah, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty impressive, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but for the listener, they can buy a pot and plant it out now or not? Um, well, you can plant it out now. Obviously, if it's um, really frosty, it's best not to. Right. But some of the plants that we sell through Wigglers, you know, they're kept outside all year round. Yeah. Otherwise, you've got them, like primroses and cowslips, coming into flower at the wrong time of year. So right. you have to put them outside. So they're fairly hardy. Yeah, they are, from ragged robin are, especially. Brilliant. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Here's Monty with his Christmas Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Even though worms don't have eyes, they can sense light. They move away from light and will become paralysed if exposed to light for too long, approximately one hour. Thanks, Monty. That was brilliant. Well, Rich, have you got any New Year's resolutions? No, don't make them. Rubbish, aren't they? Yeah. Grab the day! Grab the day. If you're going to do it, do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, just in case you need one, listener, your New Year's resolution should be compost your waste. Oh, that'll do for me. Forget brilliant. dieting. Forget trying to write a diary. Just get composting. Inspirational. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Where do we get the turkey from? Where did you get your Where turkey you from? Oh, oh, I've got a goose. Goose. Uh, don't have Phil's turkeys. phone. <laughs> nice one, Phil. No problem, Phil. Monty's coming in with a worm cast. <laughs> What's Phil? <laughs> Phil. Yeah, pod- I could yeah. remember that point in time if we were starting with Alison or Phil. <laughs> <laughs> what, a pro- what a professional outfit. It's okay, it's the Christmas spirit. So there's, is, there is it okay? it's okay for the tree, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's but generally okay. It does growth a bit. But the way, but the way, the way... It's interesting that you're shouting now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry. Sorry, yeah. Um, but it's, so uh, does, is it, does it cause a problem for the tree? No. It doesn't really cause a problem. <laughs> it does actually cause a bit of a problem for the tree. But not in our trees. With some trees it might. Just a minute. Yeah. So Does it cause a problem for the tree? So, take three. Three take. Has it been handy for you this Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope so. I'm working in an office with 14 women. I'm hoping to to uh, uh, make the most of that situation.